Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography Podcast. Today, my guest is Phoebe Leona. She is an an international award-winning author, a TEDx speaker, yoga teacher, entrepreneur, an embodiment guide and leader, and the founder of the Nomad Collective. Welcome, Phoebe. How are you doing today? So good. Thank you for having me here today, Brad. It is my honor and my pleasure. Thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I am so excited to have you here and looking forward to jumping in. So with that being said, let's do just that. Phoebe, that is a hell of a lot of hats you wear and quite an extensive resume. How do you find the time for all of this and how do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization to you? That's a good question to start with because yes, lots of hats, lots <laughs> yes. of doing things. I've always felt that I was guided through everything. I kind of follow the breadcrumbs and hear the messages. But with that said, having that organization, having that structure and form really allows me that fluidity to go with the projects that are being guided in that moment. So I'm not just all over the place. It seems like that from the outside, my family always says that I'm a moving target and they can't keep up with me. (laughs) But there is a structure and form underneath it all that is really vital to keep the engine running, as you may. So yeah, it's that balance of that masculine and feminine energy that helps me. I love it. And so with you wearing so many hats, what does your morning routine look like? That is my sacred time. First of all, I try not to schedule anything before 11 if I can get away with it, 10 a.m., 9 a.m. if I really need to. But that is my sacred time. I come up there, get up. I do my morning meditation right away. Right now it's summertime, so I get to go outside and meditate in nature where I'm at. It's so beautiful. I can hear the birds singing and there's a fox running by, a deer. So that's so important to connect with nature in some way and in my breath and my body. And then it looks like movement. So we'll probably dig into a little bit more of my background, but movement has been super important to me. So that could be dancing, that could be yoga, that could be my movement modality, movement 109, where I'm moving very organically on the ground. And I do that for a bit of time. And anywhere else that I feel guided that day, maybe it's writing in my journal, oracle cards, it might end up being in a creative project for my business, but I don't set that intention. I just really allow that space to flow. Flow is beautiful. Yeah. What drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do? My why. My purpose of creating transformational experiences so people have a greater sense of belonging and purpose is my heartbeat. So when I know that there's a project 
that is asking me to give it an awareness and give it my 100% attention, I have to ask, does it provide that experience for somebody else so that they can walk away knowing that they have a greater sense of belonging and they can connect to their purpose? And when I can do that, and I, I can say a full body yes to that, and I can give myself 100%. If I'm kind of wobbling with it, I'm not quite sure. I might dig in a little bit more and ask questions or feel into it through a meditation. But once I know that and I can dial it in, that heartbeat will get me through the entire experience from the beginning to the last moment. That is beautifully powerful. I love it. So I would love to know what were you doing for a living before making the jump into entrepreneurship? And what was the catalyst for that shift into the entrepreneurial world for you? This is an interesting question (laughs) (laughs) because I still don't even know if I claim the word entrepreneur because it happened on accident. I mean, I started out as an artist. I was a professional dancer and going to New York City, you just get thrown into the trenches and you have to hustle and do your work. And then I shifted into teaching Pilates and yoga. And with all of that, I had to become an entrepreneur. I had to go out and get my gigs and my teaching gigs and show up and be the face of my quote unquote business, which was whatever that art was or the teaching. And I would say officially becoming an entrepreneur, it was, I think it was 13 years ago when I started, well, I started my own endeavor of starting a yoga program with a boutique hotel. And then Mm -hmm. after that, I started my company, The Nomad Collective. So that's more formal. And it was just that I am also an Aries. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't know what that means, we're stubborn, we're leaders. We don't really Mm -hmm. necessarily want to take direction from others. So when it came time to grow up and put my big girl pants on, I thought, okay, I I don't want to listen to other people. So let me do this by myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I love it. I find it very interesting that you chose to use the title of guide or leader as opposed to coach. Was that a conscious choice? And if so, what was the logic or the thinking behind that decision? Why did you choose guide over coach? Yeah, well, I deeply resonate with the word guide with my business being called Nomad, where we organize retreats. That's the initiation of my business was to organize transformational experiences being retreats. So guide really felt with that language of going on a journey. I also use the word mentor at times, but I don't necessarily resonate with the word coach. And I can kind of dig in more to that, but I have a feeling you want to dig in there. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to lead right into this next question to speak about this. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the coaching industry. I mean, through many conversations that I've had with women who work in the industry, some of them, like yourself, don't resonate with the word coach or they don't want to use the word coach. They prefer guide or mentor because of what's represented in the coaching industry now through social media. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. Yeah. Before coach became this whole big conglomerate business out there, it was just, I'd never played sports. So it wasn't, I always associated with that. And that was just not a word that resonated with me. I always had mentors in my dance journey there. But when I'm looking at what's happening right now in what we'll call the coaching industry, it, it gave me even more of a reason to align with the word guide because I sometimes feel a little icky looking at the Facebook ads where it's six, seven, eight figures. And that's not why I'm doing this. I'm showing up because of my heartbeat. 
of my why. And I really am here to serve people. And yes, it's beautiful if I'm able to make a sustainable and abundant career out of it, but that's not why I'm getting into it. And so I see sometimes it's this advertisement of, oh, go into this coaching industry. You're going to make all of this money, but it's taking away from this essence of why you're going into it. You're serving people. You're helping them transform. Absolutely. The ads are, I can help you become a six-figure coach in six weeks or whatever the bullshit that they're sharing on social media. It does. It just feels wrong and it, it, it like doesn't align. Sorry. Yeah. It's like a pyramid scheme. So yeah. yeah. I agree with you. <laughs> Can you please share with us what an embodiment guide or leader is and what is the work you do with your clients as an embodiment guide or leader? Yeah. It's the word embodiment is a new buzzword and it's something that I leaned into because it was a buzzword. But the other word that I use is somatic and somatic means of the body. And so the work that we do in embodiment is to first get somebody to be in their body because in our Western world, we're pretty much up here in our head. And then this meat sack of ours is just getting us from point A to point B. <laughs> meat so, sack, meat yeah. suit. Yeah. <laughs> That's the third time I've heard that term used in the last three days. <laughs> <laughs> There's a message for you, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go on. No, all good. So it's giving people permission to come into their body. And when we're in there, this could be a rude awakening. First of all, your nervous system, you're realizing, wow, my nervous system's all out of rack. You kind of had an idea because you have this thing called anxiety and you're up in your head and the hamster wheel. But when you get into it and you really start to feel how your body is responding, we take that first step to regulate the nervous system. And then we realize when we're down in there in the body, we realize, wow, we have all these emotions that we are feeling and we may be repressed for a period of time because of some childhood trauma or just conditioning as children. But we also have maybe utilized them in unhealthy ways, right? So with anger, maybe you're explosive to your partner and you have no idea why. So we start to really look at your why. Why are you? And it's different from therapy in that we're not necessarily needing to know the why of going back to that moment, but we see where it is in the body. How is it being held in the body? Because our fascia, our connective tissue has a memory. And so when we can unpack that and just notice, okay, my fascia, my connective tissue is feeling like a fist whenever I'm around this one person or whenever I think about this one thing. And again, we don't need to know why that's happening. We can just bring the awareness to it. And that's the transformation. So we use movement and breath work and just the awareness and meditation that's really helpful. And that will transform their lives. The self-awareness is the key for sure, though, to realize what's happening. Yeah. Embodiment practices, as you just mentioned, often involve somatic movement and physical exercise. Could you share some specific techniques or practices that individuals can incorporate into their daily lives to help enhance their embodiment journey? Yeah, there's one that's super simple. My teachers, Elizabeth Andes Bell, she or Andes Dare now. <laughs> Sorry, side note correction. Uh, she passed this on to me, but it's also if you're familiar with Vipassana meditation, it's very similar. So it's this idea of just being in a meditation, taking a few breaths noticing if there's a sensation. So you can take a moment to scan sensations in the body, but then just choose one and then zoom in on it 
and just observe it. And when we observe this sensation, we're not labeling it as good or bad or pleasurable or painful. We're getting really curious about it. Does it have a sound? Does it have a vibration? Is it localized? Is it expansive? So we get really curious with the sensation. And when we start to unpack this awareness of the sensation, we might, one, see that the the experience shifts. It might expand. It might dissipate. It might go completely somewhere else in the body. But also we might start to understand our relationship relationship with it. Ah, this is something, and again, you don't need to know the why, but this is something I've been carrying for a long time and now I'm ready to do something about it. So then we can make choices. So that's really my first go-to is to have somebody just breathe, scan the body, recognize the one sensation, and then get curious about what that sensation is. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. In a world that often encourages disconnection and disembodiment, how do you guide individuals to reconnect with their bodies and cultivate a deeper awareness of their physical sensations, emotions, and needs? Yeah, I love this question. Thank you. Because I think this is the majority of us in the Western world. And it happens in layers. It's not just we wake up one day and go, oh my gosh, I have a body and I feel it and it's amazing, (laughs) right? It's a process. It's layers. And I'm still, even though I have been very in tune with my body since as a child being a dancer and going through professionally working with my body, I'm still unpacking this. So the first thing that I do when I sit with a new client is just to see, just listen to them and see, okay, how far are they, right? Are How disconnected are they? How connected are they? How far are they willing to go? And then I have to meet them there. I have to meet them where they're at and take them step by step. And each time I step in with them and I guide them through a practice, I check in and see how their nervous system's responding. And if it's too much, if they go into an expansive state and they're not knowing what that feels like, expansion and anxiety feel the same in the body. They're not ready to go to that expansive state state and they get anxious, then we have to either stabilize there or maybe go back a step. So it's being really careful and being intuitive to, again, how far along are they in this connection or disconnection and how far are they willing to go in that time and space we're together. Meeting the more they're at is key. Yeah. The concept of body image and self-acceptance is a significant challenge for so many of us. We all go through and deal with it. How do you help individuals develop a healthy relationship with their bodies and cultivate a sense of body positivity or body acceptance and self-love? First, I think that they need to, and I would recommend if there are external voices, and this could be voices in their family, this could be friends, this could be media and social media to shut them out because everything is a mirror. So when we have those voices speaking to us and we're allowing them in, it's continuing that programming of not loving their body. So once you can clear that out, then the next step is to ask, well, how do I actually feel about my body? And my favorite practice is to have my clients write a letter to their body and with no filters and then have the body write a letter back. And to just kind of go back and forth for a little bit of time and and negotiate this experience. And this can be at first, a lot of people first get really angry at their body. How dare you? You know, especially if they had to deal with illness or injury that prevented them from their dreams in some way. And so they have this battle with their body and they just get it out. (laughs) But then what ends up happening is there's gratitude, there's a softness, there's a, okay, you can do this, but I can do that. And there's a little bit of negotiation and that's super powerful. I love that technique. That's beautiful. I've never heard anyone speak of that. I love it. 
Yeah. Speaking of self-love and the importance of, I want to continue on this path for a minute with the conversation. I've had quite a few conversations as of late about self-love and the importance of it and the fact that everything, absolutely everything starts from here, from within the foundation of self. We're also so often told and having been conditioned society, parental, all of the external forces to believe that loving ourselves is selfish. With all that being said, what are a couple of tips or takeaways that listeners could implement immediately to start their journey, aside from the letter, back and forth to the body, to begin their journey into self-love? Well, I'll just emphasize what I said before of everything is a mirror. So when we are having those voices, that is an indication and for letting them in. So I could, for instance, for years, I had a voice in my head that was somebody else's voice coming at me, my, my Nana, my dad's side of the family, but I, it didn't mean anything to me and I didn't let it in. So it just bounced off. Even though she was there, it just bounced off of me. But there were other voices that I valued and they actually were part of my voice and that's where can I realize, okay, this is what my truth is. So this comes from a lot of conditioning over our childhood and younger teenage years and early adult years that become our voice in our head. So it's again, just first identifying whose voice is that. So going back to the letter, when you're writing to ask yourself, whose voice is that? Is that truly my voice or is that my mother or my best friend or whoever? So once you can identify that my favorite thing to do is just simply to lay down on the ground and to breathe. (laughs) (laughs) As simple as that. And to notice how you're supported. Because a lot of times we don't allow ourselves to be here and accept who we are in our body because we don't feel safe. We don't feel supported. So when you can just simply lie down and feel the ground supporting you and holding you, the firmness of the ground, and maybe there's a softness of the carpet or the rug, but to notice how many ways you're supported and breathe into that. And then once that happens, the nervous system starts to calm and the voices start to unwind a little bit and you get back to the truth of this experience. And this is also why I think it's very important for those who are parents to start instilling these values and beliefs into our children from a very young age. Let them know that they are perfectly imperfect. They can do anything they want. They are beautiful just the way they are and instill that confidence constantly. Because I believe that if we are constantly instilling those values in our children, they just grow up as having that be second nature for them. They don't know any different. So it'll be that much easier to tune out those external noises and voices, which will help them to step more into who they truly are and step into their power and their confidence and all of those things. Yeah, I 100% agree. I'm very fortunate that I had two parents and extended family that were very loving and constantly told me how beautiful I was and I could do anything. And I'm grateful for that. I'm so grateful. But yeah. There are a lot of people that don't have that, right? I mean, I had that as well growing up. My mom and my grandmother were very positively influencing me all along, letting me know that I can do anything and I am capable of doing anything. And that's not to say that those external voices don't still creep in. Of course they do. We're human beings and there's so many external sources. But I think that our internal gremlins or voices, whatever you want to call them, those are the loudest. And so I think that if we are able to learn how to deal with and turn the volume down on those, the external shit, once you master that, the external shit's nothing. That's a walk in the park. 
Yeah. And I love to just add one thing because this was a game changer for me too, is because yes, we had, you and I were very fortunate to have the, the compliments come in, but there are some of those voices that come in. And when I realized that I'm also a mirror for them. So if there's something negative there, it wasn't necessarily for me. It was what they were showing yeah. me about how they felt about them. And so when we can also realize that, it also mm-hmm. it takes away that harder, more harsh dialogue for us. But we can also look at them from a place of compassion and accept them and kind of turn the tables and give them the compliment right, and give them the love. Absolutely. Thank you for adding that. Now, keeping on this same path, in your opinion, then, what is the difference between self-love and self-care? I think we tend to mix the two up and get them confused often. Yeah, I do definitely think so too. And I'm going to talk about self-care in two ways. So self-care, I think in terms of mainstream media, it's going to get, for a woman, going to get your manicure, getting your hair cut, right? The superficial. And that's beautiful. And taking the bubble baths, that's beautiful and great. That's a little gateway in. But the self-love is so much deeper. We actually have to have these hard conversations that we have already been talking about of what's that voice inside of me? What do I truly believe? What are my shadows here? How can I still love myself in the shadow? And when we are able to really go into those dark places in, within ourselves, the love is there, then the self-care will go even deeper as well. So it won't just be, let me get my hair cut and the manicures and da, 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 <laughs> but it also let me make sure I meditate every day. Let me make sure I get outside and be in nature and be within fresh air. Let me make sure that I move my body. So it it has more of that intention that's truly from a place of love, not just upkeeping things and making the appearance of and social media makes me look great. Well, the highlight reels of social media. I think these are also things though that we need to also instill in and teach our children. I mean, the education system's completely fucked and broken in my opinion. And this could be a whole other podcast episode, just that alone. But I think that if they started teaching these things in schools like meditation, self-awareness, self-love, all of these things, and take out the shit that they're teaching them now, which is fucking useless, we will help foster and create beautiful human beings. Yes. We need to start this shit at a young age and it needs to be in this. Bring back home economics, bring back shop, things that they can actually use in life. Sure. Mindfulness, meditation, but home economics, teach them how to cook, teach them about health and all of these things. I mean, they're teaching them to memorize and regurgitate shit. It's completely useless. Yeah. They need to bring back recess and the art. Yeah. (laughs) Art is so important. I think it is so huge. Yeah. It's integral. And when we have the arts... I think that they should formally teach emotions in the self-awareness and meditation. But when we have the arts, we at least have this ability to take that expression, right? The children might not know why they're singing so, you know, with such passion, yeah, you know, moving their body, but they're giving themselves an outlet to actually express it. And so that's exactly. so heartbreaking to see is, yeah, the memorization, as you said, and I don't remember my... <laughs> and I've never had to use them. Exactly. 
<laughs> Our society often upholds certain ideals of beauty, of course, social media, magazines, the airbrushed images, all of this shit, strength, success. How do you help individuals navigate these societal pressures and find their own definition of embodied living and success? Oh, I just got chills. <laughs> and it's funny because I watched Barbie, the movie Barbie, <laughs> yesterday. And what was so powerful, and I'll bring it back to your question, was that she's, I won't go and tell you the whole story if it, you haven't seen her, anybody else has it, but she goes from Barbie land into the real world. And as she's kind of crossing over, she's meditating and she's actually feeling her emotions for the first time because she's mm. been plastic this whole yeah. time. And so that is my first inquiry is to how to, not what you think you should be doing and all of the external factors, but how do you feel? How do you want to feel? And what that means is, do you want to have peace and calm in your life? Do you want passion? And do you want it to be exciting and kind of like a roller coaster ride, right? There's no right or wrong. That energetic heartbeat is for you, then the what will fall into place and that will create your successful life. And you can wipe what everybody else is telling you should be doing. <laughs> The societal pressures. Oh, yes. yes. Parental. Like it all goes back to the conditioning that we've had ingrained into us. Yeah. Your work often involves exploring, as you just said, emotions and all of these things and working with them. How does embodiment play a role in helping individuals process and navigate their emotions more effectively? Yeah. So important. The first thing is know what your baseline is in your nervous system. So, so many of us, I have been saying this the last three years, it doesn't matter if you had a perfect life up until then, the last three years, you went through an experience of trauma. In some yeah. way, it doesn't matter where you were around the world, you experienced trauma, just being that it was an unpredictable, unsafe, uncontrollable environment for a period of time for yourself. You didn't feel like you had that control. So our nervous systems have been super out of whack and we don't know what's what in terms of our own reality, our own emotions. So the first thing that I do is really get them into what is your baseline? Where are you in your nervous system? And if you did experience trauma, are you in a hyper arousal state or a hypo arousal state? And so hyper is the kind of the anxiety and the manic energies. And then the hypo is more of the depression and that low grade, very low energy. And so when we realize where we are with that, then we can go, okay, what emotion is truly mine? Or is it just a response? to my external situation. So we can dig in with that and identify what anger might feel like for you. So I had a very warped sense of what anger was because my dad had PTSD from doing two tours in Vietnam. And so anger was very scary for me. So anytime in my marriage, when I was married and other situations where a man just raised their voice, I was like, uh-oh, I can't be around this because I thought that it was going to go from zero to 12. And for myself too, if I started to feel anger, I thought I could become my father and become rageful and violent. So I had to realize what anger was actually for me. And so that's what we look at is what is anger in a healthy way for you? And if you haven't had a healthy relationship, how can we use that as a, a catalyst for change and, and to fire up your passion, right? We can actually bring these sort of negative emotions that we're told not to have and use them to transform your life and yeah. to embody your life, to fully embody the light and the shadows. Many people feel disconnected from their intuition and inner wisdom. How do you assist individuals in reconnecting with and trusting that innate wisdom that resides within 
all of our bodies. I'm super guilty of this, even though I teach it. (laughs) (laughs) So I was very intuitive as a child and I saw these gifts of intuition as a curse because what I felt was I was very intuitive. I felt the energy of my father before he got super rageful and violent. And so I thought that I created that energy because I felt it before. So that might be somebody who's listening that they had these gifts of intuition and then they shut them down for a period of time because they didn't feel that they were safe. So the first thing that I do is, again, kind of what I said earlier is meet them where they're at. What is their relationship with intuition? Do they feel that they're intuitive or did they have a past with it that they were tuned into? Did it shut down in some way? Or maybe they just have been asleep this whole time. Everybody's intuitive. We all have these, what we call clear abilities, which are the abilities to sense the unseen worlds through sight, through sound, through even taste and smell. So what we need to do is first feel safe. So I do a lot. Again, I continue to talk about the nervous system. I have them feel safe in their body. I have them feel safe with the external senses that they already have, that they actually see in the unseen world and they feel and they touch and feel that first. And then I do a lot of guided meditations and visualizations just to have them have a sense of what that might be for them. So for instance, a visualization, and we use the word visualization, but we might hear a voice or we might smell a sound. So I just guide them through a visualization that's easy to take them through so that they can have a sense of what that is so that when they're in real time, they know when they get an intuitive hit, they know what a yes feels like in their body. They know what a no feels like in their body. And if there's anything in between that's, it's kind of wobbly, they can go into those clarabilities and check in on a deeper level. So they have to feel safe and they have to know what a yes and a no is. And then they can kind of dance around a little bit more in that. That trusting and allowing of the intuition and you get a hit about something is, okay, my gut is saying yes, but is this really what is meant for me? Is this really what's coming through? And it's that whole stepping into that trust piece. It is huge. And it takes a lot of practice and work to get to that point where you can, okay, yes, one, I can 100% trust in this. And I'm sure there are times when you even waffle about it. And is this really, but it's a matter of getting into that space where you can more and more trust that and believe it. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of going through, I told you before we started recording, I'm moving, but I don't know where I'm moving to Brad, (laughs) but I have this very clear intuitive hit, pack your things, give your notice. And it's going to be revealed. But it was so, because I have this strong relationship with my intuition, everything in my body is saying yes. There's no anxiety and things are being revealed. As I've been packing up, my things are actually coming to me and providing me the next breadcrumb. Clues, yeah. Yeah, and that's the frustrating thing is the more intuitive you get, it only gives you the next step and you have to trust it. And then the next step will reappear. You can't go five steps ahead. <laughs> we'll do as a follow-up. Yes, I, I have to hear the rest of this story as it unfolds. <laughs> as an embodiment leader and guide, what is one piece of wisdom or practice that you would like to share with our listeners to help them cultivate a more embodied, authentic, and fulfilling life? 
this is something I've been working with a lot in my own personal journey and with my clients is looking at how you see your life. So what is the perception? Is life happening to me? So you're kind of playing the victim role. Is life happening by me? You're the bystander. You're looking at everybody else living their dream and oh, woe's me. That's a little bit of victim too, but not really taking the action. Life's happening with me. So you're in that space of co-creator. You are taking action. But what I see, and this is, I'm guilty of this, is in the Western world, we become the creator. (laughs) (laughs) There's no room for other co-creators. But then the final is life is happening for me and really truly being with your intuition, feeling guided with the unseen being God, universe, whatever word resonates with you. So when you can really honestly look at how you're seeing your life, things begin to transform. If you're seeing it through the victim, and I will say, because I'm very sensitive to trauma, I'm not saying stop being a victim. Oh, get over your trauma. I'm not saying that. There's a period of time that you need to play that role and own it and take ownership of it. But then we have to make sure that we're not getting in the loop and using that as an excuse for not moving forward in our lives. So when you can start to really identify the role that you're seeing life and how you're in it, you can make better choices and how you're going to move forward. Thank you for sharing that. I want to speak about your TEDx journey. Getting a TEDx talk, of course, is a big dream and goal for a lot of people out there. Was this something that was a bucket list item for you? No. Really? So how did the opportunity come about for you then? And really, it wasn't? I mean, it was amazing. I'm not saying I'm grateful. Are you familiar with human design? Yes. Okay. So I'm a projector. I have to wait for the invitations for these big things. Right. Yes. I saw, I mean, I didn't even know it was a possibility, Brad. (laughs) I mean, I would watch TED Talks, but I didn't really know about TEDx. Okay. There was one that came to my local community in the Hudson Valley in New York. My friends was going to be the host of it. Okay. And he just basically said, I'm nominating you. You need to tell your story. You need to get on the stage. You need to tell your story. And I thought, oh no, I can't do that. <laughs> not me. I, not me. <laughs> even though I've been, you know, on stages as a dancer, even though mm. I've been teaching for I don't know what it was up until that point, 15, 20 years. Right. So I've been talking to people and but all of a sudden thinking my story and I have to get up there on a stage. So what felt good to me when I was nominated and I went through the application process after that and I was accepted, I said, I don't know if I can do this. So <laughs> I brought dance into it because that's what felt good. So I use my story through movement, but I also speak the the story as I go and, and share my message of life is a divine dance and you've got to play your role. No one else's. Mm. So yeah. <laughs> wow. Can you go into a little more detail about your talk? Yeah. So as I said, my friend Juan Carlos, he was the one who nominated me and it was because he knew what I had just gone through. So my father passed away. And as you can imagine, since I, the little bit I've told you is a very chaotic relationship, but a very loving relationship. He hadn't been in my life for 18 years. And then he kind of magically appeared again and we did a lot of healing. So when he passed away rather suddenly, it was traumatic. Here I am losing my father again and this time it's in peace. Two months later, my husband who had been with for 15 years said, I want a divorce. Wow. And then the domino effect of having to lose my home and move out and my health was deteriorating and I had a nervous breakthrough 
where I woke up one day and I said, okay, the one thing that's stable is my job, but it's not a job that feels aligned with my soul. It's not part of my heartbeat anymore. And I woke up and I texted my mom and I said, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to drive to you for five hours and I'm going to figure out my life in those five hours. And I did. So that's a little bit of the TEDx of really my that story of it, but really sharing how I had to make that leap, jump into who I really am, that role and how that tragedy was an invitation to dance truly who I was. I didn't have to play the role of a wife. I didn't have to play a role of a daughter for my father who was kind of caretaking him in a mental health way. It was really about me. So giving people that, that invitation to really take their life into their own hands. So many people stay stuck in that. I mean, even just using the job piece of it in particular, so many people are stuck in jobs they fucking hate. Yeah. And they don't do anything to get themselves out of it. They stay stuck in that. And I was stuck in that when I worked in corporate for five or six years. And mm-hmm. it was miserable. It was a horrible feeling. You think about it, you're pissing away five days a week. To, you're living for the weekend. You're living for two days. Ugh. How horrible is that? That's no way to, it's existing. It's no way to live. Yeah. And it's horribly sad that so many people stay stuck in that. And then there's all the other situations that can be staying stuck in relationships they don't want to be in and all of these for fear, for again, the conditioning and all these things that come up for everyone. They stay stuck in all of these things and don't live their true authentic life that they were put here to live. And it's sad. I mean, I wish I could help everybody on this planet find their purpose because when you do that, holy fuck, your whole world changes. It's incredible. It's the most beautiful feeling in the world. It really is. It's transformational. It is. But that's what we're doing. (laughs) And it feels incredible. I I feel every day I want to burst. I just burst wide open. It's incredible. Yeah. And I've shared my journey a a bit professionally. I'm so fortunate that I have always been able to do what I love. That one job that I ended up leaving, it was a bit soul sucking and I only did it for a year and I was like, okay, I'm out of here. (laughs) I've had enough. (laughs) No longer aligned with who I am and what I want to create in this world. But you had the courage and the strength to say, no, I'm not, this isn't for me. I'm not. I don't want to stay stuck on that hamster wheel. I don't want to stay stuck in this loop. This is not feeding my soul. Why am I going to stay doing something that doesn't feed my soul? Exactly. It's a tough, it's a very tough thing to do. But again, this all goes back to doing the work. Exactly. Which we all have to do. So let's talk a little bit about the Nomad Collective. Can you tell us what the Nomad Collective is all about? What was the inspiration behind starting and founding it? Yeah. Well, it picks up a little bit of where I just ended. So when I had that mental nervous breakthrough situation, on the other end of that, I got out of the car and I basically said, mom, I'm leaving my job and I'm starting my business. And if you think I'm absolutely batshit crazy, you can commit (laughs) me. I totally am okay with that, but this is my idea. And so I sat down and I said, okay, these are the two things that I'm really passionate about. I love teaching. I love people help helping them transform. Mm -hmm. I was using the modality of yoga at the time. And I really want to travel more. So I'm going to start a retreat based business. 
Does that sound like something? <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do it or how it's all going to happen, but I'm going to fucking do it. <laughs> yeah, and I did. And so that's what the Nomad started out as was a retreat-based business. But the beautiful thing is, because I'm so guided, I followed all the breadcrumbs. So yes, it became these transformational experiences in Bali and Belize and Costa Rica and Mexico. But I went back to the Hudson Valley where that was my local community. And I also built these beautiful, powerful experiences in the local community where we had 300 people coming together for summer solstice and 20 yoga studios coming together and I was sponsoring them. And it was, so I followed that. And then that led into my yoga teacher trainings and turned into my own movement modality, my somatic practice and the TEDx and a podcast. And so I just sort of followed. And that's again, the why my why is that I create transformational experiences for people to have a greater sense of belonging and purpose. And so all of those different projects that Nomad took me on were aligned with my why. So what do you say to people then that that are, they get these ideas and they want to do this, but they're stuck on the, I don't know how this is going to happen, or I don't know if I can leave my job or I can't leave my job because I don't have anything to back me up. I don't have this. I don't have that. And the excuses that come through for everyone, because we all do it. Yeah. And stop shitting all yourself. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so what do you say to these people? Again, I get into their why. I love the seven layers deep why. So you just start with why you want to do this. Mm -hmm. So it might be, I want to leave my fucking job and I hate it. <laughs> why? Because I know I have a better life. So you just keep going why. And you get into that essence of why you want to do the thing that you want, you want to do. And then I basically say, okay, this is your heartbeat now. And you don't need to know how. You don't need to know what. But really, truly meditate with this why. And you might not need to take action. I mean, I am very, in human design, I get that gut feeling and I just, I jump. But yeah. I know that not everybody's like that. So understanding what your timeline is. So some people, they need to have a strategic plan. So, okay, well, let's sit with your wife for a little bit of time. Let's look at financially. You could probably do this job for a year. Are you going to slit your wrists if you have to do it for a year? <laughs> Okay, you're going to. Let's see how we could possibly make it six months, right? So we start to look at that if that's somebody who's planning. If we're looking at, oh my God, I just need to do this right now. Okay, well, let's make sure that your nervous system is regulated. You're not making any rash decisions. Let's take a beat. Let's take a breath and let's brainstorm. Let's get some ideas. So I go with it so many different ways because I have to meet that person where they're at, how immediate it is. But I really don't focus on the how or the what yet. I focus on their why and where they're at right now and see what's already happening for them. Because a lot of times we think, oh my God, I have to do this and this. But there's also this opportunity. Somebody's been emailing me for the last month asking me to do this, whatever it is. And I've been kind of brushing them off. Oh, well, let's go back and investigate that a little bit more because there's something here already happening that you're avoiding. So lots of- It is possible for everybody. It is. I really believe that. And yeah. it is excuses. We're all guilty of doing it. It's just a matter of getting the guidance to step into it and start the process. Because yeah. I believe where there's a will, there's a way. If you want something bad enough, you will do whatever it takes to make it happen. And like you said, if that means staying in that job for another year or six months or whatever, okay, so be it. But while you're doing that, you're taking the steps to move away from it and move into what you need to do or what you're called to do. Yeah. You're also the co-founder of Tribe Military Yoga. Can you share with us a little bit about that? My baby, Tribe. <laughs> yeah. So 
I got invited to work at West Point and bring my yoga teacher training to the cadets at West Point. And when I did that, I also had a couple of veterans come in and do the training. And when we finished the two, it's a 200 hour, which is your foundation of yoga teacher training. The two veterans that went through the program and one of the cadets came to me and they said, we need to do something bigger here. And this was not a community that I really knew much about. My father was in the army as of in Vietnam, but he didn't continue in any way, shape or form. And I had actually a bad taste in my mouth about the military because right. of his experience. But when he passed away and I saw all of his medical records in his safe, I knew something was going to come back. And I knew that I was supposed to do something with the military. I had no idea what. And then this invitation came. And when they asked me, we want to do something in a bigger way. I said, okay, this is it. This is the thing. What if we can actually bring the tools of yoga to the military before they go and get deployed and experience all of this trauma and come back and we have to take care of them and in VAs? What if they actually have these tools before and empower them so that they can teach to themselves and they can teach to everybody? Because in West Point, they're being trained as officers. And part of their assignment is to implement the physical training programs. So we're now implementing yoga into the physical training programs. That's incredible. I love it. Beautiful yeah. work. Yeah. Let's speak a little bit about your journey as an author. Can you share a little bit about that? The book, the, the title, all of that stuff around the book. Okay. My book is Dear yeah. Radiant One. So this is my experience through my journey and also a transformational guide. So the transformational guide is really kind of turning the table. So I write letters to the emotions and I'm okay. basically- You're big on, on writing letters, I see. Yes, you got that. <laughs> <laughs> so basically I'm bringing in my storytelling. It's non-linear. The first part is my story with my father, but then I'm writing letters to the emotions to invite the reader into their own journey. So there is a bit of the story of my journey, but then I turn the tables and I educate people on the chakra system, which is the subtle body system, and then how we look at the emotions in that and how you can look at how do you deal with anger? How do you make friends with fear? How can you also invoke more joy and gratitude and love? So we dance through the shadows and the light emotions. <laughs> Yeah. I love it. We will put a link in the show notes when your episode's released to the yeah. book for those that are interested in checking that out. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? My superpowers, I think it's intuition. I'm very intuitive when I sit with a student and a client. I can see a bird's eye view and not be attached to it. My journey with intuition, as I shared in terms of my own intuitive hits, it took a little bit of time, but as I also shared, I'm trusting it more and taking these bigger leaps in my life. But it has never really honestly let me down. Even those times where I thought intuition was my curse, it was still there guiding me, telling my body, yeah, this is a safe experience. Yeah, this seems wild, but you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And so what does the word success mean to you? How do you define that word? This is a word that is really interesting in our society. I mean, mm -hmm. it's always so attached to a status or what, how much money you make, but I really see it as a multifaceted experience, right? So how do you experience safety and trust in your relationships and in your own environment? How do you feel in this divine flow with life, right? How do you create so if you feel that you can say yes to these kind of things, this is what I see is successful. How 
do you take action with clarity and confidence and feel yeah. inspired? How do you have reciprocal relationships, whether they're romantic or co-creators and your business passion, your family, your friends? How do you authentically express yourself? Do you feel that you can truly show up and speak your truth? How do you have that connection with your intuition so you feel peace and calm and bliss and joy in your life? So those are the types of questions when I ask if you're success, you feel successful that I ask. It's not, what is your job? Are you happy in it? And yeah. are you making a lot of money and are your kids taken care of? Those are great things, but those are part of who you are because you're successful. Those are the byproducts of success, I think. Yeah. What is one of the most important things that you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? Yeah. What was your life like after you learned it? This, I feel like I have to answer it in where I'm at right this moment. Yeah. Because where I was 10 years ago, there was a deep lesson there being that I got to claim that I had a lot of childhood trauma, something that I didn't give myself permission for. So I had to go through that period. And that was a huge lesson for me to receive it and process it and own it and bring my family into the journey. But now my lesson is stop playing a victim. And so that's the lesson I'm working through right now is how am I still playing those old stories that I needed to play for a period of time, but they're no longer serving me. They're actually keeping me from the person that I want to become and the person I, I should be in terms of keeping my heartbeat going, my yeah. purpose. Yeah. What does the word empowerment mean to you? Being able to take radical responsibility for your life. And that means owning your shadows and your light. Owning your shit. <laughs> yeah, owning your shit. <laughs> okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three word answer type thing, okay? We hope I do well. Okay. You got this. Don't worry. I believe in you. You got it, Phoebe. How would you describe yourself in one word? Radiance. Of course. <laughs> and that's the name of my, that's what my name means, by the way. <laughs> Love it. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? That I have a deep belief in humanity and have a deep love for humanity. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? To dance. <laughs> <laughs> what is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? My resilient heart. What is your favorite self-care practice? Dance movement. <laughs> <laughs> that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> Did I pass? <laughs> you Passed with flying colors. Okay, good. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? The women in my family on my maternal side, my mother, my grandmother, my aunts, they all collectively have taught me how powerful I am. And they, by example, how independent I can be. They are dynamic and diverse and just loving unconditionally. If you could step into my shoes, what question would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? What's my biggest hope for humanity? There you go. What is Should it? I answer it? Yeah, please do. <laughs> Absolutely. You had to know that was coming. <laughs> I did do a little bit of research. Um, <laughs> what we've been talking about here, you asked the question about disembodiment. I truly have hope that we can become more embodied. I think that I truly believe that this is the root of all causes in our world is that we have been disembodied in so many different ways and because of programming, because of just generational trauma. And when we can really take ownership of who we are and be 
in the experience of our body. And I don't mean just, oh, I love my body and I'm moving it, but just be in that emotional landscape every single day and showing up. We will become more compassionate and empathetic and we will make better, healthier choices for ourselves and for humanity. Beautifully said. I love it. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? I think that owning a business is a shamanic journey. <sighs> Fuck you. <yes. laughs> And I think that everybody in this world at some point, they don't have to do it forever, but they should all own a business, even just for a year, and write their memoir. It is one of the most difficult things that you'll ever do because you are stretched beyond your capacity Yeah. to the nth degree. Like You get pushed and tested and stretched. You use muscles you never even fucking knew existed. It is hard. And it's not for everybody. It really is not. But I agree with you. I think everyone should give it a shot and experience it because it will help shape you as a human being yeah. because you will be pushed beyond any limits you thought possible. Yeah. And it is, I love it. I think it's an incredible and beautiful experience. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. Now, I don't think I could ever go back to working for someone else. And let's look at that because we really do, we do still work for someone because we work for our clients, yeah. but you're not working for a boss quote unquote, you're working for yourself. And it is a truly beautiful thing to be able to do it. And I think it's a gift to be able to do it, but it's hard as fuck. <laughs> like, there's, it's a roller coaster. It really is. It's biggest roller coaster of emotions that there is, yeah. but it's so worth it. <laughs> it's so worth it. And for me, I feel that I'm not working for anybody. I'm working with people. So I'm working mm. with co-creators. We're working together right here, right there now. There you go. My clients, we're working together. My students, people that I collaborate with for my retreats. And there's no hierarchy. When we realize that, that's where the shamanic journey comes in too. Because if we wanted to be in power over, or you have always been that person who had, had somebody had power over you, mm -hmm. that we can really meet them and dance with that. I love that distinction. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for clarifying that. That's yeah. beautiful. And it's so true. You're right. We don't work for our clients. We work with our clients. That's yeah. great, great distinction. What is something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? <laughs> have a lot to learn. <laughs> like, That's a good oh, thing. Shit, I'm here again. Okay. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? I sat with this for a minute. Twyla Tharp. She is a choreographer, a modern choreographer. In my world, she was my hero in a lot of ways. She is the reason why I really wanted to sit and I would love to talk to her for an hour is because she is so passionate. She is so disciplined. I mean, she has a book called The Creative Habit, and it's all about just get up and do the thing every single day the same way. I'm not that person, <laughs> but I would love to just be in that space to maybe it'll rub off on me. Maybe I could just witness it. But she is so creative in that. And she doesn't let anything waver her. And what I felt in my journey being an artist, but then also being an entrepreneur is I felt like I had to put on so many different hats, which you said at the very beginning, yeah. she's the choreographer, she's an artist and everybody else is going to do their job to get her work on the stage. And yeah. I love that. And I'm envious of that. And I know that as being an entrepreneur, you have to play a lot of hats, but I want to bring that essence of having that focus of, I am a teacher right now. I am a I'm guide. 
a mentor and I can focus in on that. And I know that my VA will take care of this and I will play that role later, but I can just be here a hundred percent and have that focus. Beautiful. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? I struggle with this question because I feel like if I went back, her whole life would be completely different. And I'm really happy with where I'm at. And I know that there are lessons that I still need to learn. And even though my future self, I keep telling her to come and like, give me some advice. (laughs) (laughs) And she's, don't worry, just hold on. It's going to be fine. So I mean, I do talk to my inner child a lot. I go back and I visit her and I really just, I tell her, you're safe, you're fine. I love you and I hold her. So I would just continue to say that you're safe, you're fine. I love you. You're being taken care of. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Mm, I would say be courageous enough to know yourself. Remember what your soul came here to do and to be, more importantly, not do, but be. Remember that you do belong. Remember that you have a gift. And that is the only thing that you need to do is to show up and be that gift for the people and to be bold enough to choose bliss and joy and love and peace. Because when we can do that, we can do absolutely anything and everything else outside of that is a distraction. Beautifully said. Thank you so much, Phoebe. This was such an incredibly beautiful, fun, inspirational, amazing conversation. I appreciate you. And I'm so grateful to have had this time to sit and spend with you and learn about your story and share your journey and your story and the beautiful light that you put out into the world through the work you do. I am grateful to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. So thank you for being that bright light and for being beautiful you. I appreciate you. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate you. And thank you so much for holding the space for empowering women. It's an honor to be here and be able to be a voice today. Thank you for being here and sharing. I appreciate it. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Phoebe Leona. She is an international award-winning author, a TEDx speaker, yoga teacher, entrepreneur, embodiment guide and leader, and the founder of the Nomad Collective. Thank you so much, Phoebe. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.